0: Modern innovation is playing a key role in the advancement of food technology. CIFIN, or the Canadian Innovation Network, is playing a key role in sparking ideas and creating opportunities for innovation. They've created an ecosystem with no barriers for entry that creates a collaborative process for conversation, funding, and progress. Interested in becoming part of one of the fastest growing organizations in the food industry? Tune into this episode to find out more there's lots of different
1: angles driving through technology that's very different from other manufacturing
2: sectors like aerospace and automotive hi i'm andy and i'm joe and you're listening to the farm to fork podcast brought to you by carlisle technology Today's topic is on how CFIN is supporting the food industry. Our guest today is Joe Lake. Joe is the CEO of CFIN and is excited to share their vision for this organization. I'll let Joe explain what CFIN stands for and how they add value to the food industry. So Joe, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about CFIN?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Joe and I'm with CFIN and CFIN is short for the Canadian Food Innovation Network. And quite simply, it's our vision to champion food innovation in Canada. Pretty straightforward, but I think the key elements around that is that we are sector agnostic and geographically agnostic and really trying to bring that spotlight to innovation in the food sector nationally.
0: So you said that your goal is to kind of bring innovation into the Canadian food industry. Was there like a gap there that you noticed or why did you guys decide that that was something that needed to be done?
1: Yeah, I would say that there is a gap there. There has been a gap there in the past. In my history, kind of traveling around the globe, digging my nose into food innovations for a larger CPG, often found myself not working in Canada. And it's not that the innovation isn't happening, it's happening. And actually, since CFIN's inception, really pleasantly surprised that actually how much innovation is going on, more than anticipated. It's just that it was hard to find, and it really wasn't sort of organized into a hub. We'll get into some of those conversations, I think, here today on how we're trying to facilitate that. Now, don't get me wrong, too. There's a lot of great work going on in Canada, but oftentimes it can be segregated by a particular sector or really heavily agriculture-focused. Canada is a fantastic primary producer and, and that's logical. When we say food innovation, really talking about post-farm gate, we're also talking about things like sensors and robotics and data analytics, material science and packaging. You know Things that are in the food manufacturing part right through to the end distribution to the consumer and however they may get their food products. There hasn't been really a centralized location to look into those types of
0: technologies. And you guys are a fairly new organization if I'm correct, right? Yes, just
1: about a year and a half old since inception. Started in 2021. Our first program launched in September, 2021. So from a programming perspective, really just hitting the one year mark. So yeah, fairly new, fairly fresh.
0: Have you seen some early success so far? What sort of early success have you seen?
1: So far, we have seen some early success. In particular, I'd like to highlight one of our programs, and I think we're going to get into this later, but is in our innovation boosters where we're getting great adoption from that. Um, we're actually really pleasantly surprised at the interest in that program, but also in the amount of members we're seeing sign up and, and subscribe and that feedback that we're getting from them precisely around that comment, even almost literally hearing things like, yeah, we didn't have a home base or we didn't know where to turn to. This is exactly what we've been looking for or what, what's been missing. The initial feedback coming back has been.
0: We'll get into it a little bit more later also, but I think one of the things I really like about CFIN is you guys have done a lot of work to remove barriers to join the organization, which I think is great because it's not an exclusive club that you have to be a part of, but really anybody's able to join in and, and be a part of that conversation.
1: I'm super glad that you see that because that is actually almost literally the language that's used internally is that this is not meant to be a club or a country club or an exclusive piece, right? It is meant to be open to facilitate those collisions. And as everybody who's done innovation and collaboration, you know, it has to be purposeful, but there's also elements of serendipity in there as well, right? Like that just kind of happens. You have to facilitate
2: that. You can't provide. Barriers, even accidentally. So, Joe, tell us a little bit more about your background and who you are as an individual. Sure, I'm happy to
1: do so. So, my background's a little bit interesting, and I think it kind of is appealing in its story because it has a little bit of comedic piece to it. So, my formal training actually started off in marine biology. I always wanted it to be Jack Cousteau. So, kind of not where you would picture me today. But the caveat to that was, is I learned very quickly studying whales, actually, did a small stint working in an aquarium with whales that doesn't pay the bills very well. So decided to go back to school. And one of the areas that always interested me was food in general. So kind of accidentally ended up back at university for grad school and was pleasantly asked, great, we'll take you in. Would you like to work with salmon pigments or fermentation and beer? And I'm pretty sure Given the choice, you know, you can probably guess what I picked. It, it wasn't salmon, let's put it that way. So I ended up going back into university in the grad school and pursuing food science and technology. And ended up with a PhD in in, in food science. So, you know, when somebody says they've got a doctorate in beer, I can legitimately say that and and not just be referring kind of funny to what may or may not happen in some people's academic careers outside of the classroom. It actually was in the classroom. So that's actually how I got started in the food science and technology. From there, ended up at a large CPG at McCain Foods for about 13 years, uh, many different roles, everything from analytical, sensory to innovation, developing new brands, technology, and then moving over into the Canadian Food Innovation Network in 2021. That's my background, kind of funny, going from whales to yeast to French fries, and now into national innovation, but loving every minute of it.
0: It sounds like your background, you know, when you were at McCain's or or wherever you were, that you kind of did start early in your career, getting into technology and innovation. So I can see how you'd make that leap into like a CFIN type role there
1: was actually going around the globe and, and trying to stay on top of what was happening in the food industry and it's a very dynamic place but it's also not a very big sector it's pretty close-knit especially nationally but but also even internationally uh, and it's a really interesting place there's lots of different angles driving food technology that's very different from other manufacturing sectors like aerospace and automotive digital tech there's a lot of human beliefs tied into food, which makes it, like I said, dynamic, but also can be challenging too, right?
2: So thanks, Joe, for that introduction. Very interesting to learn more about your background, who you are, who SIFIN is, and really the key goals that you guys are trying to accomplish here. You alluded to it a little bit earlier in your comments, but can you give us a little bit more information about Yodel? And I believe it is the cornerstone of the CFIN platform. So can you just tell us what is Yodel? Yeah, would love
1: to. So the first thing I'll say is Yodel is not an acronym. We did not want to create yet another acronym. It is just a play on words for Yodel, screaming from the mountaintops, purposefully, of course, because Yodel is the central hub of our digital platform. Cifin set up just to indicate this as a hybrid setup. We have people across the country, boots on the ground, that human element of connectivity that's so important. But because we're a large physical country we wanted to create a centralized location and the best way to do that was digitally and so that morphed into what is called yodel and quite frankly yodel is our central location that allows everybody to come in have a discussion see what's happening what are the events it's where there's original articles that's posted infographics insight videos all kinds of elements really focused on food innovation. And it is meant to be a meeting place, a hub. And we really use that term hub. That's really what Yodel is in a sort of a two cent tour.
0: It's really cool that you guys did that because when I think about why we started this podcast in the first place, it's because we wanted to look at innovation that was going on in the industry. We wanted to look at all the different technology pieces out there. We wanted to use it as a bit of a platform for us to get to know other people within the industry and get to learn about them and the companies that they have and the technology and kind of give them the ability to speak about that to the larger audience. And so it sounds like there's a lot of commonality between what you guys are doing with Yodel and what we're trying to do with the Farm to Fork podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And kudos to you guys for doing this, because it is important to provide a platform, a location for folks to have a voice. You know, you said, well, you know, what's one of the challenges? What we're hearing from our members and, and people who are considering joining as members is that How do you find people? How do you find other companies? Or we didn't know that was going on or we just have this to share. Can you help us talk about that or showcase it? Like I said, there's lots of stuff coming and lots of things emerging out of the food sector, but there isn't really that go-to place to look for it, particularly with a Canadian angle to really give it that home base. I think that's exactly what Yodel is all about. And the key element around Yodel is, We're trying not to define what Yodel is 100% and then try and sort of proverbially throw that down the throats of the industry. We want that feedback to come back from the community. We call it a community because we want our members to feel part of that community to help shape it, to help direct where those conversations will go or what kind of events or maybe calls for proposals because we're getting that feedback. So it is meant to be a platform and an area for people to have a voice, just like your podcast, right?
0: So what sort of conversations have you seen that have really stuck out to you on Yodel so far? Is there anything that really has kind of popped off the page to you?
1: We're still fairly early days. So we're about 10, 11 weeks in since we launched it and immediately was sort of struck by some discussions, which are more around, I'll call it thought leadership or asking questions around. What do you think about, say, food delivery or what's your view on the direction of, say, plant based investment, something that's maybe in the news and that conversation sort of spilling over into Yodel and and people answering. But on a more practical side, we're seeing conversations that are very direct and simplistic, but also equally important, which is, hey, I want to do a pilot test with a fermenter who's got some fermentation capabilities out there. And then you see people start to jump in or our regional innovation directors from CFIN can also help spill to those physical assets that may exist across the country. So there's sort of two sides we're seeing right now, and it is kind of growing weekly. We're seeing sort of different angles of conversations. So yeah, going well so far, and we'll look to eventually probably spin out some sub-communities on there around either potentially topics or regions or perhaps calls for proposals.
0: Is there a specific audience you guys are targeting with with Yodel? Is it technology and innovators like we've talked about earlier? Or is it also food processors and people that are actually in the manufacturing part of the food industry? Or who are you kind of aiming Yodel towards? Yeah, fantastic question. Fantastic question.
1: And I would say, in general, it's meant to be very open for anybody who is and this is a key piece, we're really trying to market this in a way around your interest, not necessarily who you are and what you work for, though inherently, if you're in the food industry, it should be of interest, but more if you're interested in innovation in the food space. And the reason we say that is because, and I think you guys will appreciate this, talking to a a broad group of folks on your podcast, I've looked at them, is that a lot of innovation also comes from outside of the food space, right? You may not work for a traditional food manufacturer, Take data analytics as an example, or robotics. You may come from other industries. We call it the periphery of the food space, but you have an interest in innovation in food and manufacturing and distribution and customer analytic prediction. It's also for those people. You may be an investor. You may be on the finances side. You may be an accelerator or a university or an academic who has an interest or works specifically in those areas, maybe not full-time, maybe it is full-time, but Yodel is also for them. So it's really around what you're interested in and less about who you are. And I think the key piece too on Yodel is it individual in your membership or subscription to it. It is not company. We see this in other situations where you may sign up as a corporate type account and that represents the whole organization. What we quickly recognized is that for particularly large organizations, you have multiple departments, marketing, quality, tech services, R&D, distribution, somebody from each one of those departments has a different view on what innovation and research is to them, and they're also going to have different interests. And we want those people coming in individualistically into the community to have their thoughts and discussions for what's important to them, not just a generalistic approach that's meant to cover that whole organization. So I hope that gives you an idea of the slight, Subtle difference, but important difference on the way we're trying to open that community on Yodel to people.
2: And I guess to take it at a more granular, nuanced level, you mentioned who Yodel is, who it's marketed to, and the type of individuals you want on the platform. Can you speak a little bit to how they can gain access and use the Yodel platform?
1: Yeah, very simple. If you just go to the Canadian Food Innovation Network homepage, you can see an option to sign up. And the best news of all is it's free. There's no monetary barrier to to get in there. So you can just sign up. You put in a a little bit of information. It's fairly easy to get in there. Set up a profile similar to a LinkedIn or a Facebook kind of concept. And Once your profile is set up in there, you're you're now an individual able to communicate, contribute, access the libraries and, and original content there, and even include your own content there. Pretty low barrier to entry. You go to the Canadian Food Innovation Network homepage just Google that, it'll pop up and sign in.
0: And I think you've done a good job kind of showing the benefit and why Yodel is so important. But do you want to give us like a quick little elevator pitch of, you know, why people that are listening to this podcast should be interested and should go and sign up?
1: Yeah, I think the quick reason would be you probably have questions or interests around innovation in the food space or research if we want to use that topic. And there will be something for you there, whether that's your ability to actively post a discussion, maybe you're more passive, like actually most people are on these social platforms to scroll through, find an answer, but also gain some of those, those media-like articles, those insights, and then of course, stay abreast of all the events that are going on across the country. There's many reasons to do that. I would think the last one too is just access to the
2: program funding. Kind of just building off of that momentum, Joe, can you tell us about the funding programs that CFIN has developed? Sure, I would be happy to do that. And this is,
1: you know, one of the core elements. We talked about the community building that sort of space across the country, but one of the ways we're able to support that is through funding and programs. So right now we have two programs that we've been working with in our first year, the Food Innovation Challenge and the Innovation Booster. And we're going to be introducing in fall of 2022 to be completed in early 2023, what's called our Food Tech Next program. So I'll start with the Food Innovation Challenge. And this is our larger collaborative envelope where we would fund up to $2 million from CFIN. They can be up to a $4 million total project. So what you can do on the quick math there is it's 50-50 split where we would require 50% industry contribution to that program. The key thing around our food innovation challenges is we tend to put a call for proposals out around a theme. And that theme may be tied to something that's sort of more immediate in the needs of the industry. But it also will eventually, as we're building and collecting insights and information from our community, be tied to what are their interests. So an example of that. Shortly after the war in Russia and Ukraine occurred, and we know COVID's been a challenge. Supply chain was really at the forefront of a lot of organizations. So we did a food innovation challenge with a theme around digitization of the supply chain. And that's how we were able to try and put some money into the space and really provide some innovation in an area that needs it. So again, I think the takeaways for our food innovation challenge, it's our larger envelope, it's collaborative and generally themed uh, in the way it works. The other program that's very exciting and a little bit different, which is really sort of the antithesis to the Food Innovation challenges, is our Innovation Booster Program. And these are meant to be smaller, they're, they're shorter runways for the projects and they're smaller in the envelope size. So they're up to $250,000 from CFIN, so total project of 500,000, but they tend to be even smaller, which is great. Um, They don't necessarily need to be collaborative, but the idea behind these is that there may be an obstacle that a particular applicant is facing. And if they're able to overcome that obstacle, they'll be able to realize that innovation or their organization more holistically. So the examples we like to use would be uh, we've developing this new ingredient. If we knew What it's, you know, if it could be preserved through a process, make sure it's heat stable. We would have this information. We know it could be included in these types of products. It would benefit nutrition for seniors, for instance. Then we might be able to fund them, go half and half on a $50,000 pilot run to test that ingredient and they get that data. It's going to put them in a state to actually start to innovate around that. So that's kind of one of the examples of innovation booster. So the takeaways there, it's quicker, smaller envelope still requires 50-50 co-funding, but really moving at speed. And we're looking at turning around those in 60 days, which is really quite quick.
0: How competitive are these programs? So if you were somebody that was looking to kind of jump in and throw your hat in the ring and, and try to get funding in one of these, would you say it would be super competitive and difficult to kind of acquire funding? Or how would you characterize that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and it's a tricky one to answer because you certainly don't want to scare anybody away on the answer. What I would say is there's a lot of interest, particularly on the boosters, which is fantastic. You know, we're seeing double digits in the applications, sometimes over 40 per application. So they have to be strong, absolutely, to make it through. But I wouldn't want that to be discouraging anybody from that because of the quick cycle on the innovation boosters as well. You can get potentially multiple opportunities at that. And sometimes there's some really good ideas in there, but they're not well articulated necessarily within the application process.
0: Have you seen applicants use third parties to help them write stronger applications if that's maybe not their strong point?
1: That's common practice in this area for sure. So that, that definitely happened. You know, I think in some cases, it's to the benefit of those organizations to have professionals help. What I would say, though, is on our team, we have people from that industry in the past, so we can sometimes tell very quickly. And that's not used in any particular way of evaluating, but we you can get a sense when there's a professional third-party organization in that application process.
2: And how is Sifan able to fund these various grant opportunities? Yeah, right now,
1: the way our funding comes is we are using money from Innovation Science and Economic Development, which is a, a department of the federal government, and we were recipients of their Strategic Innovation Fund. So the, the funds that we are passing out ultimately to these end recipients are from the Strategic Innovation Fund. So they're, they're government funds, and we are a third-party delivery to those government funds.
0: And then just like with the Yodel question, do you have a target for who these great opportunities are are aimed at? So is it food manufacturers? Is it innovators? Is it software companies or hardware companies? Or who are you guys targeting? So the
1: easy answer to that for me is yes. (laughs) And let me qualify that a little bit more. And I think that's kind of both the blessing and the curse of CFIN. And we, we do like this tension because if you go back to Who we are, right? Sector agnostic, regional agnostic, it allows for that openness, right? Across the arena of food innovation. So that means we are opening the door to folks that maybe wouldn't always be there or wouldn't necessarily always have that ability to apply. What that then therefore creates is a challenge around specifically saying anybody in the dairy industry can apply, right? We don't have that sort of put a categorization box around it, or anybody who's must be academic led or something along those lines. So now you're opening it up only to say colleges and universities. So the way we try to control that a little bit at times is by posting the challenge with a theme. So that again, it's more around the interest and what the priorities that we're looking to try and drive as an organization. And for, for Canada in the food innovation space is what's indicating who can apply and less so by a categorization again as a sector or a region or what kind of job type you are. So Joe, how does CFIN decide the programs that they run? Yeah, this is a great question. We look at it a couple ways. and in simple terms, push and pull. In terms of push, that would be where CFIN feels through some insights or things they've been seeing in the food industries on a global level where it would make sense for Canada to start moving in those directions. Now, we haven't done too many push calls yet, but in the future, we're gonna look to do that where we try and catalyze some discussion and conversation and put some money into an area. To give you an example of one we like to use internally, we don't think we're ready for it yet, but to sort of forecast the future is innovation around food for seniors and the aging population. We see this in Europe, we see this in Japan, Canada's and North America in general, the Western world's aging, don't see a lot of targeted innovation at that space. And so sometimes you need to catalyze and push that kind of thought leadership out there and put some money out there. On the more immediate way we're approaching it is trying to base our calls for proposals around insights and feedback from our members and what are their number one opportunities or challenges depending upon which version of that language you want to use. So I think as mentioned earlier, supply chain was one. Another call we've done in fall 2022 is around plastics reduction. And of course that's uh, tied to the government regulations changing around single-use plastics. It's forefront for a lot of our members and they need ways to move that needle forward in real time. So again, bit of a push-pull concept and that's sort of the beautiful element of the community side that's helping to fuel the way we're deciding which way these funds can be best utilized within uh, that community. Is the feedback.
0: I would guess that maybe Yodel is a good asset in that as you guys kind of listen into conversations that are happening on that platform and you can kind of look at maybe some directions that people are talking and see if there's opportunities to write programs based on some of those conversations.
1: That's exactly. You've got it instantly. And to add to that, not just the digital platform, but also our five regional innovation directors, which are spread across the country, who are boots on the ground, or we say out in the wild. So they're also having discussions, they're going around and seeing people face to face, they're going to events, there's a physical presence. So between both of those, we're getting a pretty good sense from coast to coast to coast.
2: Yeah, I think this has been a great overall discussion, you know, about who CFIN is, the Yodel platform, how CFIN provides funding for innovation in the food processing industry. But Joe, can you tell us a little bit about some of the unique projects that you funded more recently?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's been some really interesting things before we even get into some of the awardees is just what I would love to celebrate here, because I think it's worth celebrating, is the breadth. Of food innovation we're seeing across this country is fantastic. And I'm kind of stumbling a little bit on the words because, you know, I, I don't want to almost give it too big of words, but we were really, really excited on what we've seen. Everything from digital technology, pieces of physical equipment, we're seeing packaging, we're seeing analytics of consumers and digital twinning, we're seeing upcycling, we're seeing new ingredients, product development plays, we're seeing research around microbiome and precision fermentation is fantastic so there's been a lot to really look and dig into and choose from and i think you know canada should be proud about what we're seeing but from that of course some have been awarded uh, uh funding and you know there's been some really interesting ones and so we can highlight a few and really dive into it. is there any in particular that you happen to see that you'd like to speak to
2: yeah, absolutely. I believe we were talking with Jamil about a robotic hamburger flippers. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about that project in depth.
1: Well, actually, that's interesting because it isn't, it's not really a hamburger flipper. It's really about back of house robotics, back of house in restaurants to take on some of the, I'll call it the dirtier, less impressive tasks. So interestingly, robotic burger flippers and like the pizza flippers are kind of the sexy side of of robotics in, in food but not always the most practical right they look good in a picture but not always really replacing uh, the right labor why we were very interested in funding gastronomists is the particular organization is that they're tackling the jobs that are kind of the the grungy ones the more monotonous and repetitive ones and putting those into the back of house situation where it could be as simple as opening packages or sitting in the cold room and doing those things without having to come and go in and out of a freezer or a refrigerator. So that's back of house robotics. The other reason we're really interested in robotics in food service is that there is a new arena for data acquisition that didn't exist when you have a human doing that work where you can actually get images you can actually get spectrophotometric data back on the quality of perhaps ingredients or even the number of maybe cases that had were intact or not intact to the point where that goes back upstream into the food process and you might even be designing products now that work with a robot or a case that can be better handled by a robot or you know a particular size of onion slice that will work 99% of the time with the robot versus 75% in the current particular product format. So there's a lot to be really interested about, uh, in back of house robotics. And and that's just one of the examples with gastronomists.
0: I think I heard that you guys did something with upcycling, like reducing waste. Was there a specific project on that?
1: Trendy tech, which is based out west in the Vancouver area is really an interesting organization that does several things around upcycling and different product lines and SKUs. But in particular, this one was funding around creating technology that can automate taking some of their upcycled ingredients and converting them into hot and ready soups to create the sort of full circle on that economy and bringing those products that would have gone to waste, whether that's from the field in their particular case where they tend to go as they try to go to farms and stuff that won't make it into the food chain, they're not letting that go to waste, they're converting it into shelf-stable ingredients. And in this particular case, helping to find a home for those shelf-stable ingredients through automated processing and turning them into a finished-ready product. So that's quite neat.
0: I think that's really cool. I know just on a personal aspect, we have some friends that own an apple orchard and they always have you know, the prime apples that, that get picked to go to the grocery stores that are beautiful, that sit on the shelves. But then there's also the apples that aren't beautiful, but are still good apples. Uh, that they can't necessarily sell in that manner and so you know our family always tries to take those and make use them for making apple juice and things like that you know the the product is still good it just doesn't look fancy on a shelf and so anytime you can do something like that to reduce that waste and still use it i think is awesome
1: yeah and we're seeing globally lots of different approaches to waste and even defining what waste is right you know you're talking about a whole product there a full apple which is potentially quite good But then, when you get into other things where you've processed a product and then there's maybe not all of that product is used, there's also opportunities to use that as well. So, there's lots of good things happening. We see everything from ingredient development to marketing strategies like ugly fruit to, you know, reutilizing as potential opportunities for energy reclamation or going back to, say, soil or animal feed. We're even seeing things, we've had applications come in around accelerating the composting at home on your own kitchen counter right through some grinding mechanisms and maybe heating it up or adding some microorganisms to that so that you can do it odorless in your own house. Again, that just sort of demonstrates the breadth of what we're seeing just even in a topic like waste reduction or valorization or upcycling, whichever
2: term you want to use. Absolutely. It has a myriad of positive benefits for not only, you know, the environment and an ecological standpoint, but then from a business process standpoint and, you know, continuously funding into the innovation of those topics. Another one that kind of caught our eye was surrounding personalized meal kits. So if you want to talk a little bit about that project.
1: Yeah. So this is from NutriMeals based out in, in Alberta. And this is kind of interesting because personally, and no pun intended, I'm a big fan of the concept of personalized nutrition. And it can mean different things to different people. And I think there's different levels of personalization. But we're really just started as a sort of global entity, you know, starting to dive into this concept of everybody has different nutritional needs and benefits. And NutriMeals is starting some of that with their meal kit delivery, but they're using AI assisted machine learning digital elements to help get those meals delivered that are customized for their end consumers needs. You know, it's not quite necessarily to the levels where it's fully blown to specific diseases, for instance, like you might see in an institution or, or medical need, but certainly getting into different diets. And maybe like reduced macronutrients and those types of things. But getting that data analytics back into improving what's already becoming really interesting, of course, is these meal delivery opportunities. So that's a really cool one. So I think there's one other um, project that's a really interesting. Actually, a couple. Of, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into two actually that are really interesting to highlight because again it shows sort of the breadth and depth of the types of food innovations we're seeing. So one is Index Biosystems, and what's really interesting about this group is they're using what's called bio tagging or biological tagging, where they can actually apply yeast. Now it would be inactive yeast to products in the field, food like in the field, like say leafy greens or oats or grains and actually trace that ingredient all the way through the supply chain to the end product and now have a digital traceability in the supply chain. And that's really fantastic. It's very interesting. It shows you how technical some of these innovations can be and how important they are as they can trace something through. So in the example of their project, they're going to trace grains through to finish products like say a granola bar or a cereal, and you'd have a digital tag that's embedded in the genetic code of these yeast and will allow you to see where those either came from. If there ever happened to be a safety recall, you can get 100% of the product based on that tag. It's just a really interesting home home-growing innovation that you don't see too much around the globe. So that's a really neat one.
0: That is interesting. I'd love to see how that kind of rolls out and how you would have distributors or whoever with the technology to be able to read that and identify those products and be able to recall them. And I mean, traceability is kind of right up our avenue. I have a lot of interest in how that would look in a practical, everyday scenario.
1: You know, when you start talking about, say, genetics, it used to be very expensive 20 years ago, right? And now it's, it's kind of like the way Wi-Fi is, right? It's, what is it, pennies now to put Wi-Fi connected chips into everything nowadays from your shoes to your home care products. It, it's going that way. But genetics isn't too far behind, right? It's starting to get really cheap to run tests and things like that. It's going to become more and more practical, and and we're right on those precipices, so it will be interesting to see how this one works. A very interesting project. On a more, I don't want to say basic side, but certainly a more practical side is Nodal out of Quebec, and they're designing very specific and customized antimicrobials that are designed for the meat industry. And what's really interesting about those is because of the capabilities they have in specifying the effectiveness of these antimicrobials through very specific testing and, again, getting the right makeup of these compounds that they're able to design through, say, fermentation and the like, you have a longer shelf life on very perishable food items. And it's very interesting because it then opens up economic advantages to, say, smaller players, who can now get longer shelf life on their meat products, but also export opportunities as you can imagine. You know, meat and seafood can spoil easily. So adding five to 10 or 14 days to their shelf life is worth millions to lots of companies. So another example of of innovation that I think flies under the radar that's important to the food industry and a lot of people don't necessarily consider is preventing the waste before it even happens, right? And that can be done in multiple ways, such as this.
0: Well, oh, that's really cool. I'd love to see how that kind of rolls out as well, too, because I know a lot of people are trying to limit, you know, the current preservatives. And, you know, I know consumers are weary of preservatives. And so it would be interesting to see, you know, what happens on that front and how can technology and innovation kind of mitigate some preservative risks while also, you know, enhancing the shelf life of a lot of the perishable products.
1: Right. And these would be natural antimicrobials. And, and, and what's beautiful about these is, you know, they can be applied in process. Right.
0: So let's talk about how you guys roll out these projects and how it goes from, you know, you develop a program, you have applicants apply the program and certain applications are accepted. What happens after that, as they kind of go through the development of the innovation or the technology all the way through to the grant funding being paid out and the completion of the project? How does that work with CFIN?
1: Yeah, good question. And the larger food innovation challenges follow sort of a milestones principle. Usually they're multi-year projects. They're moving them across technology readiness levels. And that's the way they're articulated. The way these projects are actually part of their evaluation is they're a logical flow to the way that project is going to evolve and see how it manifests itself. Now, of course, each and every project is unique and what level they make it to through that funding may end up to a commercial state it may or may not but they would work in partnership with cfin and have milestone meetings ensure that uh, things are progressing the right way you know are the costs on track is the spend happening appropriately or not and continue to move those forward of course along the way cfin provides additional benefits around showcasing those particular companies, uh, whether that's stuff on Yodel or, you know, at potential events or activities. We're still in our early days, so we're still developing some of those things. But those are the main ways that they would evolve. And of course, we would love to see a lot of these organizations find other sources of funding as they sort of graduate out of our programs. So there's, you know, several ways that CFIN helps them kind of go to, to conclusion. The other piece too, is we like to showcase the innovation so, that others can learn from it, right? So, knowledge transfer is a big element of CFIN. We want to share all of, of these innovations. Of course, a big caveat here is we're not divulging any organization's specific IP. That is not the point of it because we also recognize that would be a big barrier to entry for a lot of organizations. So they're not giving up any IP or any secrets, but we are sharing what's going on, some of the approaches and some of the, you know, quote unquote technologies so that there's learnings for other
2: people. So, Joe, where do you see CFIN going in the next five to 10 years and, you know, what's the overall future?
1: It's funny to think that far out because we're really in early days, but we are thinking that way. And so we really want to see our programs evolve. We're already on V2, version two of of our boosters and food innovation challenge. We've got Food Tech Next coming out. Our first closure of that program will be in early 2023. We'll look at that and reevaluate on Food Tech Next, which is more of a demonstration kind of pitching concept around programming to try and provide a little bit more visibility. So we'll continue to evolve our programs. The big piece will be evolving the community in Yodel, really letting that start to take its shape. I hesitate to say it's gonna look exactly like X because as you know, and you heard through the discussion, we really want that feedback to come in in real time. But if you look at say five years from now, we really would want CFIN to just simply be that home base for people who are interested in innovation and research insights in the food space not only in Canada, but globally. We really want to be, be a place where folks from other parts of the world are also saying, there's something happening there. What is that? Let's tune in. Let's sort of get jacked in. Let's plug into what's going on in Canada because there's good things happening and there's enough sort of mass and momentum around that to check it out, right? You don't have to do a big search for it, that there's a way to at least... Get into that space. And so that's what we see sort of five years from now is that it's a known entity where you can find out what's going on in innovation and that you're part of that as well.
0: I think you've done a really good job of kind of explaining who CFIN is. You've done a great job talking about the Yodel platform and the, the different funding programs. When I think about our listeners, it's like I think a clear call to action is that people just need to become members and get involved and get on the platform.
1: Yeah, I think that's the most simple way forward. And of course, the other one would be to reach out to any of us. Um, but in particular, you know, your regional representation and our in our regional innovation directors is, is an early stage place to ask questions. But just sign up and give feedback, right? That's the key piece is we really want to hear back. We want that echo. We're going to say a few things, but we want to hear if that comes back From the community in the same way. We're always pleasantly surprised when it's matching, but we're also really keen to hear when it's not matching. And that's important, right? We wanna build this with everybody, not in the way we think it should be.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you've done a lot to remove the barriers for membership. I mean, you've removed the cost, there's no cost to sign up. You've made the signups easy so that people can, you know, anybody can go in and sign up. I mean, it's a great avenue for funding opportunities and just connecting. Like, I think. You know, as a sales and marketing guy, one of my favorite things is just networking and meeting people within the industry, having conversations, seeing what other people are doing and building off that synergy. And you've developed a really great platform for that.
1: Thank you. Really appreciate that. And, and I'm glad that that's evident because sometimes when you're in the middle of trying to build something, you're not always sure if it's landing, but that is absolutely the purpose behind what we're trying to do.
2: Absolutely. And to our audience, again, make sure to head over to the CFIN website, sign up for Yodel, get involved with the community that's there and learn how you can further expand your ideas into food innovation and funding. So, Joe, we just wanted to thank you again for taking the time to come on the podcast with us. You know, you've been a wealth of information and we really appreciate your time.
1: Fantastic for me, too. Thank you. And you guys are doing great things as well. We appreciate the invite. Like you said, it's great to network and, and to communicate and, and I love your platform for advancing. Very similar ideas. So it's it's awesome.
0: Great. Well thank you so much.